Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. First. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Don't kill it. Kill it. Kill the There's a reason they say cursed like a sailor. Then reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're stuck now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I am your host, Keith Smith. Joining me for this episode is Adam Morris from Denver Stiffs, Vice, and Locked On Nuggets. He is an absolute Nuggets expert. There's not going to be anything about this team that Adam is not going to know about. Adam, how are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. Excited to talk some Nuggets uh, and their exciting offseason. Absolutely, yeah. This is one of the ones I'm really excited about, I think. This team could go in any number of directions, so we'll, we're going to go ahead and dive right into it and get into it and get all your thoughts on the offseason and free agency and the draft and all those kind of things. But in order to set it up properly, let's talk about where the team finished the 2017 season. So Denver was 40-42, and 42, ninth in the Western Conference, missed the playoffs by one game. That obviously came as a surprise to me and I think most of the NBA world. What about you, Adam? Uh, it was above my projection. I thought 38 wins. Um, I thought the Nuggets had more talent than the general public, but I got to say the way in which they got to the 40 wins was not how I expected. I thought, obviously, I didn't think Jokic would make the type of leap that he did. Um, I didn't think that they would win this many games if Gallo missed as much as he did. Um, I didn't think Moutier would be completely, uh, you know, taken out of the rotation. So a lot of things happened that I didn't expect, but the outcome, I think, was more or less where they were. So I don't know if that means I got things right or if I got <laughs> things wrong, but, uh, but, but I wasn't too surprised by the 40 wins. All right. So a couple uh, stats for everybody. I like to keep a really high level where we, we can get into real advanced stuff if you want as we talk, but high level, they finished third in points per game in the NBA with 111.7, fourth in offensive rating, 113.2. That was helped by finishing seventh in pace. They really pushed the ball quite a bit and got the ball up and down the floor. On the flip side, the defense needs a little bit of work. 27th in points per game, 111.2. 29th in defensive rating, 112.7. Is that pretty much the, the let's, this is where I would say, do the stats lie or were they as good of an offensive team and as bad of a defensive team as the stats say? The stats don't lie, but there's an important thing to kind of add here. The Nuggets were actually the number one offense since December 15th, which was when the Nuggets put Jokic in the starting lineup and started playing him 30 minutes a night. So prior to that, the first eight weeks or so of the season, uh, Jokic was a bench player. Nurkic was in front of him. They were both playing about half, you know, splitting minutes. Uh, Even Kenneth Fareed would play a lot of center minutes. On December 15th, 
somehow a light bulb went on with the coaching staff that everybody else in the world seemed to notice, uh, which was that Nikola Jokic was the team's best player, and he should be playing a lot, and they should be playing through him. From that moment, from the very first moment he started, the Nuggets were the number one offense in the NBA, ahead of the Warriors and Cavs. And that's a pretty big sample size, December 15th. So you're looking at four months, basically, uh, of a sample size. And then uh, the defense was probably it's certainly as bad, if not worse, than, than, that, than what's indicated. Again, because they were a better defensive team before December 15th, and then they really became a bad defensive team uh, after December 15th. So I think the extremes are even more polarizing than the overall numbers would indicate. Yeah, and I like that um, you brought that stat, too, because that's not a cherry-pick stat of, uh, well, what did they say in that movie, Mr. Baseball? They led the team in ninth-inning doubles in the month of August or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's not one of those, right, where that, that is, it's a big sample size that shows, you know, that they had really good offensive ability as a group, and we'll, we'll get into that as we talk um, but more, it was, I'm sure. The other, re- the other reason about that date is it, it really was two seasons for the Nuggets. You can, you can say, even though it wasn't half and half, uh, it was only two months and then the four months, but it really was a, a very distinct change in the style of play and the success, the types of shots they would get. So I don't, it's not an arbitrary number just because he started, but also because I think the team was really as different as it could have possibly been from that point on. And the other thing that happened was Gary Harris came back. He was injured for the first two months, so he returned on, on December 15th as well. So it was kind of a two things that change the team so much. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into Harris because he is one of my favorite guys in the league. I loved him coming out of Michigan State. I have I have this odd affinity for Tom Izzo players. I think they're all going to be good <laughs> in the NBA, and Harris was somebody I was very high on. So I, I, we'll, we'll definitely talk about him a little bit later in the show. So this is really designed around this show, though. We're going to get into the offseason and what might be next for the Nuggets. So I know we were talking a little bit off air, and we, we – Come at this from a slightly different place, but we'll um, get into it and see where we differ. So for me, I have the Nuggets with a max of about $44.9 million in cap space. That's, to, to get to that max number, that's if they let every free agent go. They waived all the guys that they could that were owed non-guaranteed or partial guaranteed money and also didn't sign any draft picks or traded the picks or whatever. Projected, which is a little more tends to be a little bit more realistic, but a much more debatable number. I've got them at 14.7 million in cap space. How I got there was keeping free agent rights, so not renouncing, but hanging on to their free agent rights for Danilo Gallinari, giving a qualifying offer to Mason Plumlee, making him a restricted free agent. Then I have them renouncing Roy Hibbert, and then also waiving Mike Miller. So where do you come at it? Because I know your number is different than mine. Well, I think uh, it's really about where things are going to end up is where we'll, where, we'll, where we'll differ because I do think they're going to renounce Hibbert. I mean, he obviously was brought in as more of just a contracts thing than, a, than anything. Um, I think they are going to try to pursue uh, Mason Plumley in restricted free agency. I think that they're going to try to, um, you know, hold on to him. But Gallinari, I think, is a gone. Is gone. Now, that is, you know, however they go about doing it, make an offer or what have you, I just don't think that the two sides are going to come to an agreement or even be that close. It's not one of those things where, oh, well, we'll see what happens if, if this, you know, th- there's a chance. I would be shocked at this point if Gallo came back to Denver. So I would count him off the books, um, you know, as far as next season. 
Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's really interesting because you know my kind of going in thought had been that they'll keep him and do everything they not I don't want to say everything they can to retain him because I think they do have a limit and a price that they would yeah. pay, and it is starting to be somewhat of a crowded front court there. Um, but that's interesting. You think he's going to move, which that would free up you know an additional uh, large chunk of money and be about what is it, twenty two million or so is his cap hold, if I remember right. And and not only free up money, but I think the Nuggets had an issue this year with trying to get to the salary floor, and Mm -hmm. I think there's a real possibility that they will have that issue again. Now, I I think they're going to be aggressive in in the trade market, and so that could change things significantly, but I I think the Nuggets, there's a a scenario in which they kind of have to decide whether they're going to overpay for short-term deals just to get to the salary floor uh, if they strike out on some of their bigger targets. Got it, and that does definitely make sense um, there. So so that's, to give everybody a little bit of the inside, this is where you can come at these things with a lot of different ways. And this is why I always caution people, when you whenever you hear things like T-Max has max cap space, you need to dive into that number a little bit more to figure out how did they get there. Because obviously I'm projecting Gallinari still on the cap, Adam's saying off the cap, which is a huge swing. That's a massive yep. swing. So this is a little bit of the show we want to do, a little bit of education, and that's part of it because cap holds, they really, really matter. You know, I know a lot of times people look at just, what's the guy make for a salary? Oh, they can fit a guy in there. Eh, that's not exactly how it works. So whether or not Gallinari's on the books and how long he's on the books will make a little bit of a difference. But So we covered him, so it sounds like you think he's probably going to be moving on to a new team. Um, here, So I want to dive then into Mason Plumley because I think this one's really interesting. My opinion as someone who watches the Nuggets as much as I can, but obviously not as much as you do covering the team, was I thought Plumley was a pretty good fit. One of the things I liked was it seemed like to me they could run a lot of the same stuff with him in the game when he was backing up Nikola Jokic because he's able to pass the ball really well. He's one of the better passing centers in the league. Um, not unlike Jokic is. Is that is that off base? No. Well, I think obviously they're different players from the scoring perspective. Mm-hmm. Like Jokic is this phenomenal scorer, and and Plumlee is a kind of, he's not even a good finisher. Um, mm-hmm. So that part's different. But the passing and the style. The reason the Nuggets' offense changed so much is because they ran the ball through their center through Jokic, and when Plumlee arrived, they ran it through him as well off the bench, like you mentioned. And there aren't that many players, although there's a growing number, but there aren't that many players that can kind of, you know, dribble from one side of the top of the key to the other into a dribble handoff or pick and roll or whatever. And so there is that continuity. Now, the bigger issue is Plumlee's a good enough player that Jokic is going to play 35 minutes a game next year. That would leave 13 minutes for Plumlee as a backup. He's too good for that role. So yeah. the, the big crux of what the Nuggets can do with Mason Plumlee is how much do they believe they can play the two guys together. And the difficulty this season was they were in a playoff race, and they were kind of holding on. They actually were in the playoff spot for most of the year and lost it at the very end. Mm-hmm. But they were in the playoff hunt, so I don't think that they could really experiment too much because every game you were both trying to win and trying to see how those two guys looked. And if they looked bad, you weren't able to give it a lot of minutes. So... I think the Nuggets are front office is in a really tight spot in that they have to make a decision on how well he fits alongside Jokic for 10 to 15 minutes a game with not having a ton to go off of, a, a huge sample size to go off of. And that's a really tough call that I think will 
um, probably influence the near-term future of this organization. So that brings me to a point I really wanted to get into with Plumley is obviously, yeah, he's if he's back, he's Jokic's primary backup, as well as, yeah. like you said, they've got to play a handful of minutes a game, probably 10 to 15 at least together. What does that leave Plumley? What, what do you think then becomes a fair contract for him? Because that, to me, ends up becoming the, the tricky part. How much are you willing to invest in a guy who's really a backup plus, if you if you would call it that? Right. Um, but, so where, where do you see a fair number for both him and the team landing? It's important to note that, again, this is heavily predicated on what your opinion is of them playing together. And my thought is I don't think that they can play together for 10 minutes. I think they can play together for five to ten minutes, like ten being kind of the max. Mm -hmm. And in a playoff series, I think a team would exploit those two to to where they can never play together. So so that being the case, I think for the Nuggets, 11, maybe 12 million is is the top. And here's why. For next year, I already think that the Nuggets are going to have a hard time just filling their, their roster and getting to the salary floor. I think that could become a real issue. Next year, it's not a big issue. The year after that, it's probably not a big issue unless somehow the Nuggets are recruiting free agents, which has never happened. So the odds are the next two years it's not going to happen, but we're talking about a three- or four-year deal for Plumley. He's going to try to put some years on there. And after that, you know, I, I don't think – I think the Nuggets will be in a place with Jokic being 25, you know, Murray, Harris all being a little bit older and, and kind of hopefully ready to compete – that I think in year three, four, uh, he won't be as needed. In fact, I think he would become a burden. The question is, he is definitely, in my opinion, one of the 30 best centers in the NBA, Mason Plumlee is, which means even though he's a backup in Denver, he would be a starter in probably 10, 10 to 15 different markets, right? 10 to, 15, 10 to 15 different teams, he's probably a starting caliber center. So at that point, there's a $12 million or $13 million contract is that actually a good deal for two years if he's going to start for you? I think yes, and that's why I think the Nuggets can afford to kind of gamble on the fact that he'd be an overpaid backup for two years, and then they can move him. Yeah, so that that gets into where I wanted to go next with him, and and I'm with you. I think, think it's for all the reasons you laid out, I think it is going to be important that they at least consider paying him and overpaying him. But as a restricted free agent, they obviously have match rights on him if he does get an offer sheet from anybody else. Is there a team out there that you could see looming as potentially would be willing to throw him an offer sheet that at least gives Denver some pause on matching? A lot fewer than there would have been last summer. <laughs> yeah. Had his contract come up then, I think he would have made a, just a, he would have made a ton of money, Mozgov money or something. Yeah, I think but, last summer is going to be the summer that all bigs are going to say, man, if I was only a free agent that year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This year, I actually do think the market might be kind of cool on him. And the one team, though, that I would say it makes sense in my mind is the Brooklyn Nets. And here's why. They're not going to be good for a while. They need to develop perimeter talent, and they well, they need to develop all talent, but especially you know spots one through four. And a player like Plumlee, I think, is really really good for a team that's looking to develop. He he's unselfish. He sets great screens. He makes great passes. He's going to make things as easy on players to kind of learn how to move off ball and cut and get open shots. So. If you're trying to develop talent, I think Mason Plumlee is a great fit there. And then on top of that, 
what's Brooklyn doing for the next two, three, four years anyway? <laughs> I mean, they're not going anywhere. You might as well throw some money at a guy like that and try to develop spots one through four. Um, so that's the team that I kind of look at and would not be surprised if they tried to make a move on him. You know, every time I see a restricted free agent, I instantly say, oh, maybe the Nets will throw him an offer. Maybe the Nets <laughs> will throw an offer. It feels like that's yeah. uh, every guy I know, like pretty heavily reports. I know I've um, gotten told this myself, too, that they're going to go aggressive after Contavious Caldwell Pope as well as Otto Porter. But but that's a different podcast. That's the Nets show. So <laughs> we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll move back to the Nuggets. So I know you mentioned it. I mentioned it briefly. I think we're both in agreement. Roy Hibbert was really acquired as only a contract as a means to get a little closer to the salary floor in, in last season. There's no chance he comes back, right? I, I don't see why he would. He didn't even play um, you know, when he was here. I, I, and they just don't need him. He doesn't make sense in today's NBA. He doesn't make – I don't think he makes a ton of sense for the Nuggets. So, no, I would be shocked if he – if he was even discussed, to be quite frank. Yeah, I, I, at this point, I kind of, you know, I was looking around, like, where could he fit? And it just, it's very hard to see a team where he makes much sense, if any sense. I got to say, I really like him, though. Like, as a person, I never got to really interview him until he came here. And he was a, he was a very good locker room guy from what I observed. And he kind of, he seemed like a guy to me that kind of knew his place in this league now and just fit in really well, which isn't always the case for guys in his position. Yeah, I feel like he's somebody who he'll surface on a maybe a, a good team as like the third center, and he'll just kind of be be ready to kind of break in case of emergency guy. And I don't yeah. know that he necessarily hurts you too bad when he's on the floor, but I don't know how much he helps at this point either. I think, you know, if, if you need him for a month while somebody's down, he can give you five, ten minutes and – you're you're not gonna it's not gonna be the end of the world with him. So so that moves us then to kind of the last guy on the roster of the free agents. Well we covered the three free agents, so now we want to move into Mike Miller. Mike Miller is a has a fully non guaranteed contract for three point five million. It does guarantee on July twelfth, which should get Denver clear of knowing if they need to use an extra three point five million in cap space or anything like that. Where do you yeah. see things with Miller? I actually think this is a more interesting question than people would think on the surface. So so here's some things to know is Mike Miller and uh, Josh Kroenke actually go back a ways um, to like high school and AAU days and kind of have known each other for quite a while before just NBA stuff. So they have a nice relationship. Mike Miller is a guy that is obviously the best locker room guy you can possibly have, especially for a young team. He works out with guys like Malik Beasley. Uh, when when Moutier was benched, he worked out with those guys and really pushed them. He kind of became not a player coach, but just like the leader of the players. He's the best bench guy. He's the first one off the bench whenever something great happens. Um, and the last piece of the puzzle is he's the number one recruiter when you're talking about free agents. If you remember, they pursued Dwayne Wade last year. Mike Miller was a part of that pursuit and and kind of – Dwayne Wade talked about how he called up Mike Miller and, and, and asked him a bunch of questions about the organization and did his research. I talked, uh, I'd heard rumors around the league that when Wade arrived, he had a tons of info, almost, almost surprised. I think Coach Malone talked about this. He was surprised at how much Wade already knew about the team and, and all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And I think Miller went a long way in kind of recruiting him and selling him on, on the team. And going forward, I think that's going to be important too. Mike Miller is very well respected. He's very well connected to several superstars around the league. 
So I think having him on the roster, even if it's just as this sort of recruiting pitch, uh, can be really, really big. So I actually think he will be back next year. The big part of it is, you know, he's obviously not a player. He's not going to get on the court. Um, he's purely here as kind of that locker room guy. And if they, for whatever reason, run out of money, I think that means that the Nuggets did really well in free agency. So that would be a good sign. But I don't expect that to happen. So I think he will be here. Yeah, that's and this is why we wanted to have people like Adam on the show because these are things that if you cover the league in general like somebody like I do, you're not going to have those details. You're not going to be able to get in there and really know all of these things. So this is you know, great to know that he is so well connected. I, I knew the recruiter thing, and I knew that. I didn't know his connection to the ownership was quite as deep as it is, so that's pretty cool to know. And it's also one of those things with a guy like Mike Miller, people look at him and say he played in 20 games and he averaged a little over a point. Like, who cares? Why are we paying this guy anything? <laughs> and that's where people forget. Like, there's a whole part of it off the court. And the Nuggets have a host of young wings that could do a lot worse than learning from a guy like Mike Miller, right? You know, for sure. And it's not like they he took a roster spot from somebody they needed to develop. I mean, yeah. Alonzo G... Johnny O'Brien, these are the guys that, um, you know, maybe would have taken his spot if they didn't have him. So it's not like he was he was eating up minutes or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, so we've covered um, those guys. Of the, the remainder of the roster, so there's not uh, anybody necessarily on, on a non-guaranteed contract or anything like that, but there's been a lot of buzz around guys like Will Barton, Wilson Chandler, Kenneth Fareed. seems like anytime you hear Nuggets and trade rumors, it's one of their three names, sometimes all three, um, or in the same type of rumor. Let's go through them one by one. Let's talk Will Barton first. He is on his last year of a what really turned out to be a bargain, a steal of a contract at $3.5 million. He's, in my opinion, has well outperformed what he's being paid on that. I don't know where you land and I want to hear that. But what do you think his future is with the team? Do you think he'll be with the Nuggets on opening night? So some more backstory for Will Barton is that Will Barton grew up in Baltimore, same as Tim Connolly, and that the the two have, uh, you know, trained together prior to prior to this Nuggets den. I think Will Barton actually trains with uh, one of Tim Connolly's relatives or friends, and and so they, they, they kind of had that relationship even before he arrived here and that he was familiar with him. Will Barton's contract is one of the best non-rookie deal contracts in the entire NBA because he was a six-man-of-the-year candidate for the last two years. He was kind of the second tier. He wasn't up there you know, in the, in the, like with Eric Gordon and, and guys like that, but right below that, he was just a very valuable scorer, I think the third or fourth highest scorer on the Nuggets team. Um, he can do a little bit of everything. He's kind of an instant offense type player. So he's really, really good. Now, the problem is, He's going to be unrestricted free agent next summer, and I don't know that the Nuggets want to lose him for nothing the way that I think they will with Gallo. So uh, with regards to him, and also we'll talk about Wilson in a second, but I think that it makes sense to move move him now. Now, think about this. Jokic, obviously the best player. Gallinari, the best scorer last season. Wilson Chandler, the third best scorer and one of the most versatile players, and then Will Barton. There's a chance the Nuggets could lose all three of those guys, two to trade and one to free agency. So Will Barton might stick around. Again, if the Nuggets aren't able or don't feel that they've been able to replace some of the scoring that's going out the door, but I think their preference is to move that contract as part of a package deal now while it has so much value because he will have value to a playoff team 
that just needs a little bit more punch off the bench. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's one of those things, too, where I think a team would love to get him and be able to also have his bird rights as a free agent next mm-hmm. summer in 2018 because then, you know, he is coming off this bargain contract. He'll have an extremely low cap hold for a guy of his ability. So that could be a good position to be in almost a bargaining chip. So you mentioned Wilson Chandler. So one of the things I, I love with Wilson Chandler is if we go back to a little more than a year ago, I was questioning if this guy was even going to play in the NBA anymore. He'd missed the entire 2015-16 season. Um, hip injury, right? Was it was yes. that what it was? Yeah. Yep. And then he came back to have one of his best seasons that he's had as a pro. And the other thing that was funny kind of occurred to me when I was doing research for the show is he's actually been in Denver longer than he was with the Knicks now. So that's oh, yeah. uh, you know, really kind of kind of interesting when when you think of that. It's There's times when I think people still think, oh, well, he hasn't been there that long. And he's been there quite a bit. He bounced between the starting lineup and the, the bench a little bit this year. So ended up starting 33 games, um, kind of – Really played whatever role was asked of him. He is owed a little over $12 million this year and then has a player option in 2018-19, $12.8 million, which I would assume if he has a year anything like what he's had, uh, what he had last year and stays healthy, he's probably going to opt out of that would be my guess and try to get that last really good contract for him. But where do you see things with Chandler long-term in Denver? Very interesting question with him. Um, he's a very talented player that's had the injury issues, so that's obviously the problem. And I think his talent is clearly better than the contract he's on. But there's a chance that he gets injured next year, and, and that would be the only way he would opt in sort of to that deal. So if a team traded for him, they would be trading for him almost certainly for one year and if he did pick up that player option, it's probably because he's injured and that hurts anyway. So I think teams look at him as a little bit of a risk, but you mentioned the best season of his career. I think part of that is because he's actually a pretty good player and has spent so much of his career either on horribly dysfunctional teams or on uh, in, in just injured. So this was the year he had a significantly less dysfunctional, at least on the court, less dysfunctional team, and he, he really played well. And then on top of that, Nikola Jokic made everybody have career years this way this year. <laughs> Gallinari, Gary Harris. I mean, not, I'm not joking. Kenneth Freed, every single player was, when Jokic was on the court, was just, like, phenomenal on offense. So, um, but that being said, there was a report by Sam Amick sometime around February, I believe, that Wilson Chandler was no longer happy here in Denver and did not like his role, or rather his lack of a role, of a defined role. And I get his perspective on it. He, uh, he... He's a guy that the Nuggets had two teams, right? They had a young team and they had a vet team. And they tried to make it work. And Wilson was kind of the guy that was the plug-in-the-hole kind of guy. Like, oh, hey, we need you at small forward tonight because so-and-so's out. And we need you to play defense on the best guy. And then the next night, oh, hey, we need you to score a bunch of points tonight and play power forward. You know, It's like his role changed night to night. Oh, you're starting tonight. You're not starting. You're going to play 40 minutes tonight. You're going to play 15 minutes. And I think that just, like, really irked him. And he got to a point where Sam Amick reported that he was wanted out, was very unhappy. Christopher Dempsey, the beat reporter at the time for the Denver Post, followed up with him and, and kind of confirmed that he, he kind of backtracked saying, you know, I never requested a trade, but yeah, I'm not happy with my role, which was kind of, I think, a soft hedge on his part. Um, so I'm not sure that he wants to return, and I'm not sure that the Nuggets want to lose him for nothing the way they're going to lose Gallinari 
So I think the, it makes the most sense to try to move him very aggressively this summer. The other thing to know is that Wilson changed agents very recently in the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks. So this could all, again, I'm reading the tea leaves here. I don't know this for a fact, but it's possible that, that he's hiring an agent that, one, is prepared to negotiate his next deal, which will probably be his biggest deal of his career, but also to try to move him to a position that's favorable for him. So there's a chance that, that behind the scenes the Nuggets are trying to move Wilson by the, you know, very early in free agency and, and, and when they're able to move him because uh, I don't know that he'll be content going forward. So so with that said, what do you feel like would be a reasonable return for him in a trade? It's really tough. Um, he's under. I think he's worth more than he's being paid when healthy. Uh, he's the type of player that I think he's so useful to teams like a Cleveland or uh, really any of these good teams that have number ones, you know, Houston. Uh, I mean, even Portland. I'm not saying that these teams have the you know the space to make a deal or anything mm-hmm. like that, but just the style of play where you already have a guy initiating offense, and then he can. He's a very good isolation scorer. He's six foot eight and athletic, and he can he can move like a small forward or he can play strong like a power forward. And there's not that many guys in the league that can do that. So this year, when Gallinari, Jokic, and him shared the court together, he would get the worst of the three defenders and just absolutely abuse them. Uh, you know, scoring points, posting up if they were little, taking them off the dribble if they were big. So he's a guy that I think makes a team a lot more versatile, unlocks a lot of a lot of uh, things that a team can do on the roster. So I always look at you know the Clevelands of the world and and think, imagine how good this guy would be in the Richard Jefferson role. He's basically like Richard Jefferson was maybe four years ago. He wasn't like Richard Jefferson in his prime, but he certainly has the kind of positional versatility and. He can be a great defender and this or that. So I think he has some value, um, but the one year on his deal kind of makes it a little bit tough to trade. So I, I really don't want to say any names or anything like that. I think the more likely scenario is that several pieces are packaged together, including Will Barton uh, or any combination of Will Barton, uh, Wilson Chandler, Darrell Arthur, Kenneth Fareed, Emmanuel Moutier, uh, Malik Beasley, the 13th pick, and even next year's first-round draft pick, depending on how big of an offer you're looking to make. So, for example, a Jimmy Butler-type player, you know, the Nug- if, if he were available, there are rumors of him being available, something like a Moutier, uh, Wilson Chandler, the 13th pick and next year's pick, provides a team like Chicago with future draft picks, a young player that's underperformed but maybe is a little bit better in Moutier, Wilson Chandler, who can come in and fill a scoring role for you in the short term, um, so things like that, I, I see it more as a package offer than, than anything else. And it might not be for a player like Jimmy Butler. It might be a smaller swing that's like, you know, Moutier and Wilson only, or Wilson in the 13th pick to move up to, you know, number eight or nine or something like that. So that, that's kind of how I see him being uh, handled this summer. Yeah, I think he's a guy who, as you kind of said, he makes sense on any number of teams in the league, especially good teams or or even those late lottery teams that are looking to make the next step uh, to to push a little forward. It, it's funny you mentioned Cleveland, and I kind of laughed to myself because I said, oh, man, I'd like to see that just to watch everybody's heads explode of how'd they add another guy with $12 million <laughs> a year just because <laughs> just I think that'd be interesting. So that's going to take me, you know, um, the other two guys, so the, the – 
the two kind of power forwards on the roster, so Kenneth Reed and Darrell Arthur, um, I was really kind of hadn't noticed too much, I think partially because he hadn't played consistently. He was kind of in and out of the lineup quite a bit, Darrell Arthur, but 45% from three this year for him. That was uh, pretty yeah. pretty impressive, and it wasn't, wasn't on a huge volume, but 53 of 117 from behind the arc, so, you know, more, more of uh, more than it wasn't that he just hit you know five or six. That's yeah, a yeah, decent yeah. number. So is that um, something we can expect to see him building into his game now? As he's he's what he's twenty eight now, you know, starting to near his thirties. Is that something you expect to see as be a big part of his game? I think it's going to be the sole part of his offensive game. I mean, he's basically on offense. He can't really do anything besides screen uh, and and shoot. So offensively, that's kind of where his value comes from, and he wasn't. He's gotten better as a shooter every year. This year, obviously, I don't know that he's a forty-five percent three-point shooter, but he he really had he really got hot this year and had a nice year. I think thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty percent for him is very realistic, in part because he's not he's the guy that wasn't guarded this year. The Nuggets had some, you know, the Jokic offense producing all these great looks and cuts, and he was the guy that the defense said, "Okay, we just got to help off of Durrell." Uh, the problem with the rail was the Nuggets signed him to a new deal this year, this last summer, and almost immediately he went in and had knee surgery. Mm-hmm. So um, he's a guy that this year I think was always hurt and always on a minutes restriction, not re-aggravating it, but just kind of slowly recovering and trying to go through camp and, and everything else while also having to like rest two out of every three days. So um, – He's a guy that I don't know if the Nuggets are necessarily looking to trade, and I don't know if his value is, is super high around the league, but um, but he's a guy I also wouldn't mind the Nuggets trading away because I think there are some better options for them at power forward position. I think Kenneth Fareed is a tremendous fit next to Nikola Jokic. They had one of the best two-man pair, you know, off-on offensive ratings in, in the entire NBA this year. When they were playing together, they were outscoring teams by like 13 points. Um, so they were just terrific together. And then I think I think the perfect fit for Jokic is to have Kenneth Fareed and a stretch four. So you can either play big or play small. Darrell Arthur is kind of big, um, so that would just give you two bigs. And I don't think there's going to be enough minutes to kind of play two bigs and a stretch four. So I would strongly prefer to move Arthur, but I don't know if the mark, there's a market for him out there. Yeah, I think just with the injury history and so much time missed, they, they see a hard time. Unless it's, as you mentioned before, as part of a package deal where he, you know, maybe he's a salary balancer as a guy who can also offer some value. I could see him added there. But you mentioned Kenneth Reed. So this is a guy who he's, let's just call it what it is, he's polarizing around the NBA. There's a lot of people who loved him four or five years ago, thought the guy was, you know, the, the second coming. Everybody loved, you know, the manimal and running and jumping and up and down the floor and the crazy energy and the hair and all that. And then he kind of turned into somebody who then all of a sudden people are like, he can't shoot. He doesn't fit the NBA. <laughs> yeah, right. he's, not a, he's not seven feet tall. He doesn't protect the rim as a, you know, massive shot blocker and those kind of things. And they kind of became a, now he's this overpaid bum who doesn't have a place in the NBA anymore. It feels like last year, especially later in the year, as people kind of caught on to, wait, the Nuggets are they're they're good. They're not a terrible team. Feels like it kind of was a little bit of a Fareed resurgence where I think people started to come back around like, hey, maybe this guy does have a role in the NBA. Where where do you see him and what 
what do you see his future as with with Denver? He's got two more years under contract, $12.9 million this coming year, 13.7 the year after. To your first point, what is his or his, your second point? What is the future with the Denver Nuggets? I, I really don't know because he has been in trade rumors for for longer than when he's been on this contract. The trade rumors started on his rookie contract, yep. so he's really been kind of his name has floated out in rumors for a long time. That being said, here here's the deal with with Kenneth Fareed. He's not a great player if you're relying on him for anything outside of the scope that he is very good at. When he was in 2013, the Nuggets won a franchise record 57 games, and they had Andre Iguodala, Danilo Gallinari, Ty Lawson. That was the three guys. And then Kenneth Reed was just the hustle guy. That's his role. That's where he excels at. They played fast in transition where he's very good. He, you know, diving on the floor, grabbing rebounds, put back dunks, and that's his role. The years after that, they lost a lot of talent both to injury and to free agency. Um, so they were they were kind of relied on him. He had a bigger role under Brian Shaw. They would post him up. He's obviously not good at that. So what I think is he's kind of like Tristan Thompson in that way. Their skill sets are different. Tristan Thompson obviously much more defensive minded, but their skill sets are that you don't say Tristan Thompson's good because you can count on him to give him the ball and have him do something. He's good when you have a couple other good players, and then his job is just to be the the grunt guy. This last season. Nikola Jokic, Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, that was the, the core of the Nuggets, you know, scoring and playmaking. And Fareed was there to kind of fly around and make plays. So he had a resurgence because he was back in the role that best suits him. I think he is one of the best in the NBA at that role. It's tough because there are some teams that can make that role kind of uh, unneeded. They can kind of take that away. So one of the things I always say is Kenneth Fareed and Jokic, Fareed is awesome. Mason Plumley in Freed, Freed's not that great. You know, like any other combination, and then he totally loses his value. So the question becomes, what is the value of a player that you kind of have to only play Nikola Jokic minutes with? Um, but fortunately for the Nuggets, that contract is a little bit high, and I think it'll not be as high at the trade deadline and next summer. So if they do want to trade him, I think a team is much more likely to trade for him for one year than they are for two, certainly than they were when they had three years on the deal. I prefer the Nuggets hold on to him and ride out this season because I think him and Jokic make a very good combo. Uh, and then after that, I think there'll be a lot more takers around the league that, that are willing to gamble on him for a year. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that I always look at, and he feels like that guy that all the good teams have a guy like him, someone yeah. who just you know goes in there, bangs bodies, especially if, if the other big, which is Jokic, is kind of a, I hesitate to call him a finesse guy, but a little more skilled player, yeah. let's call it that. Um, so Fareed is, you know, he, he can be that dirty work guy who just, you know, gets in there, bangs bodies and, you know, flying up and down the floor and those kind of things. So that's, you know, really interesting um, there. So so that's going to take us into the next topic on the list. So, so we're talking about the NBA draft now. So Denver is three picks, pick 13, and then two seconds, which are split by just one pick, so 49 and 51. <laughs> And in those, um, in the first round, so right in there near the tail end of the lottery, what is it you think the team's looking for? Have you heard any names linked to the team? Where do you think they might go with that pick? I haven't heard any names leaked from a source, you know, within the organization or anything like that. Um, so it, it would really just be me kind of speculating on what they need. But fortunately, I think the Nuggets' needs are very clear. They need defensive players. 
they need high IQ players, and they need length. Um, so, you know, looking at it, there are some players in that 13 range, um, but you're looking at a small forward, a power forward, preferably somebody with a, a, a longer wingspan. I don't think they would gamble on somebody with a short wingspan just because they really need that positional length and versatility. Um, now, the other part is the Nuggets have a lot of youth on the roster. Moutier, Murray, Harris, uh, Jokic, Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez. That's a lot of players that are, you know, three, four years down the road or is going to be when they hit their stride. I don't know that they want to keep the pipeline full with eight players that are 23 and under because then you only have a few spots open. So I, would, I think the Nuggets are uh, a candidate to trade the pick. And I think they would either trade it to move up. Jonathan Isaac is the guy that myself, but also a lot of other analysts seem to think is a perfect fit here in Denver. That wingspan, seven foot one and a quarter, but also the ability to kind of go out on the perimeter. That's the perfect player for Denver, for Jokic, because he would play power forward but be a rim protector. And then the knocks on, on Jonathan Isaac in the draft are that he can't really create his own shot. Well, when you play with Jokic, you don't need to. He's gonna, you know, you're gonna be playing this like cut and replace style, so you don't need to necessarily have this great handle and step-back jumper or anything. So I think he's a guy that the Nuggets have their eye on. The problem is he just keeps climbing draft boards, and I, I don't know. I, I think he's going to go five or six, and uh, probably not five because I don't think the Kings would. The Kings need kind of a guard, uh, a point guard, but probably six, maybe seven at the latest, and I don't know if the Nuggets I, I don't know if the Nuggets are going to be able to move up there without trading away one of their big players that they don't want to trade, so um, he would be the name I, I would throw out first and foremost in the Nuggets trying to trade. Now, if they do stay in that spot, OG Ananobi is a guy that I think fits the Nuggets' ideal. Again, 7-2 wingspan, uh, can guard 2, 3, 4, some, maybe even a 5, and uh, even though he's raw on offense, but again, with Jokic, he just needs to be a finisher, not necessarily a creator. Uh, so those would be the two names, one in the 13th slot and one trading up to try to to try to snag a higher pick like Isaac. Yeah, Jonathan Isaac's a guy who I kind of, when we were way back mid-year on this, he was a guy that I said, boy, you know, if he comes out, he could be almost a Gallinari replacement. They they have a somewhat similar skill set. You, you don't want to put that much pressure on a young kid like Isaac, but that's a decent comparable. And he was a guy I thought, but as you mentioned, you know, Draft Express had just pulled it up, their latest mock, they have him going six to the Magic. And I don't know that Denver can get up quite that high to get him. When he was more in the eight, nine, ten range, that totally would have made sense to, you know, slide up to a few spots. For what it's worth, Draft Express says Zach Collins is the pick. I don't right. know that's you know, if that's the a fit I love, um, particularly just because I think there's almost too much overlap there with uh, Nikola Jokic um, and in, in positional overlap, I right. should say. So that one would worry me. And then, you know, then what do you do with Plumlee and those kind of things? But that could be one of those where take them and then you just let it all sort itself out as it goes. So, you know, definitely in the draft, I think it's going to be one to, to watch. I, I, I do agree with you. I think... The Nuggets, which leads me into where I wanted to go next. Well, um, let me talk oh, yeah, absolutely, segue, yeah. because I, I want to say to Orlando, with taking you know Orlando taking Jonathan Isaac, we know I, I know it's new management, mm-hmm. but we know that one of the things they were looking for was you know, those hybrids 
and they mentioned Juancho Hernan Gomez and Wilson Chandler specifically. Now, would the Nuggets be willing to move Wilson? We already know they want to move Wilson, but would they move Wilson the 13th pick and Juancho for sixth? I think that's good return for the Magic because Juancho Hernan Gomez also shot like 41% this year, um, and Jonathan Isaac may be a little bit more of a better fit. Personally, I love Juancho, and I would hate absolutely hate to see him go um, just because I think he's going to be such a good shooter and cutter, and the Nuggets' offense can go to a whole other level. But maybe they'll try to move, you know, a future first-round draft pick or you know something like that to try to move to Orlando. So I think there's a trade that could be of all the teams in that zone. I think Orlando is the most likely to to make a move to trade it um, and move up to j- grab Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, so interesting enough, Orlando's where I actually live, <laughs> um, so I'm uh, <laughs> uh, somewhat close to, to the Magic, and obviously we're all trying to figure things out here now with a new regime uh, leading the front office here in Orlando and what they prioritize and where they want to be, but but that that is intriguing. I think it becomes a little bit more intriguing if it was a pick a player and then another pick, um, which was one of the options you mentioned, just yeah. because I think Orlando is coming to the realization of they're not going to gonna buy their way out of this quick. Um, they tried that last year. It obviously backfired spectacularly and then cost almost the entire front office their jobs. So it really is down to now. I think they're going to look to build. So if it was, you know, hey, we could flip this into a pick, a young player, a good player who maybe we could flip again, or another first future first-round pick, there could be something there. That's that's definitely something to watch. I'm not not sold that the Magic are looking to move out. I think it's going to depend on who's there on the board. Um, yeah. And I'm just increasingly getting a just a gut feeling that something crazy is going to happen in this draft. I don't know what it is. I just feel like <laughs> we're going to see something weird uh, really play out. So. So you you really though you hit a great segue because what I wanted to talk about next is. The Nuggets are an interesting, and you mentioned it a couple times, where they're almost two different teams in the sense of they had a bunch of vets and then a bunch of young guys. So they have, by my count, five players who are still on rookie-scale deals, first-round picks, and then they also have Nikola Jokic, who is a not, – he's not on a rookie-scale pick, but it's still on his – deal he signed as a rookie. So, you know, and at this point, I, I, I struggle to find a better bargain in the league than Nikola Jokic for the paltry sum of the league minimum that he's making. Yep. Um, but how does how does that come into team building? Because one of the things for me is, it's one of those where the team I cover most often is the, is the Boston Celtics. And one of the things people will say all the time is, you know, hey, you know, get rid of Thomas, get rid of Horford, you know, load up, get a bunch of picks, you know, and then we can have 10, 12 young guys. And I'm like, that doesn't work. You know, one, the team will be terrible because young teams like that never win. Uh-huh. But on the flip side is eventually all those guys need paid. <laughs> that becomes a really difficult <laughs> um, proposition to pay them all at once. So in your mind, how does this change the team building approach and – does it link into, is it time for Denver to consider consolidation trade? Well, I think it's a great question, and it's the question of this last season for the Nuggets going all the way up through the summer. So I think this was the year of figuring out what you've got and consolidating and picking the three or four guys that you're going to stick with. I think, obviously, Jokic is a no-brainer. I think Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, in my opinion, would be no-brainers. I like both of them. They both have the upside to shoot 40% on pretty high volume from behind the arc. They're also both tremendous cutters, and that's the two thing. That's really the only two things you need to play with Nikola Jokic: shoot from outside and know how to cut. 
They both do that. So to me, that's the core. I really like Juancho Hernan Gomez. I think I would pre- strongly prefer to hold on to him. Uh, he's a guy that might be, you know, in theory, he could be the starting small forward that's the worst player of the starting group, but he's also a tremendous shooter, very unselfish, very high IQ um, player. And, and, and he can be a 40-something percent shooter. So if you have Jokic plus three 40% three-point shooters, I mean, that's almost Warriors-esque, right, with Draymond and then mm-hmm. three elite shooters. So you have this great offense that's very sustainable. Um, but then that leaves you Emmanuel Moutier, Malik Beasley, um, who are two guys that I that I go the other way on. I Like you said, if everything, everybody thinks you don't want to get rid of them and then be good, well, what happens if they're good? You can't afford them anyway. Yeah. Uh, because we you already got we just mentioned three guys and potentially a fourth one if if you know they are able to trade for Isaac or something like that. So um, so I think that the Nuggets have three guys: Wancho, who I think would be a very good role player and might be a guy that's you know a cheap starter, but also very 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 good. And uh, and everybody else to me is is expendable or something that you can consolidate. So obviously Moutier doesn't have a ton of value around the league right now. But I think Malik Beasley is similar. Again, once you start pairing these prospects, I think you can expect one of the 13th pick, Beasley, Moutier, Wancho. One of those guys is going to be a good player. And if you can start to package different things together, um, you know, that might entice a team or two. Yeah, and, it, you know, Moutier is one of those guys who I watched him go in to play the Celtics early in the year, and I think he scored, I don't know, 100 points, it felt like. <laughs> he was just, you know, throwing in shots from all over the place, and I think he had 20 and a quarter or something along those lines. I mean, he was just there, and I was just like, whoa, maybe this guy's finally figuring it out because there's early enough in the year. And then as I would check in throughout the year, I was like, nope. <laughs> that was just, yeah. a, you know, one blip on the radar. And that's... It, that, that's a question I've kind of had is it seems like he's a question mark now, much more so than he was at this point a year ago, is yeah. where is he going to be at? And then with Murray and Harris, so Gary Harris is up for an, for an extension. And he and then, will get it. I yeah. would be shocked if the, if the Nuggets did not give him an extension. So that's where he's going to go. So you think he is going to get an extension? You don't think they'll kind of kick it down the road and deal with it next summer as a restrictive free agent? You think he will sign this offseason? Tim Conley has said as much and said that it'll be a priority of theirs this offseason. So that, to me, kind of tips their hand as that's the direction they're going to try to go. And I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Gary Harris, a tremendous player, lock him up right now, hopefully on a – a slight discount because, again, you're guaranteeing him money right away. And so maybe you can get him on a little bit of a discount that's going to pay off, not necessarily this year or next year, but, but down the line when Murray and Jokic are ready for, for their you know, new deals. Um, if you can get him on a little bit of a discount now, that, that really pays off. So Gary Harris, here's the thing you have to know. I think Michael Malone's favorite player is Gary Harris because he just does his job. He works hard. He's in the gym nonstop. Uh, he's just a he's a guy you don't worry as a coach you don't worry about Gary Harris does what he does every single night so um, and, and he's not a problem he doesn't have an ego or anything like that so I think he's definitely going to be a guy that the Nuggets lock up uh, this summer and is a long part of the team um, yeah yeah so and just for people who may not know how good Harris is almost 15 points per game 
and he shot over 50% from the field overall and and 42% from three. So I don't, you know, and that 42% was on a good amount of attempts, 107 made three-pointers on 255 attempts. So you're not talking, again, this wasn't a, you know, blip of just he hit a handful. And he missed part of the season, so that, that yep. his per-game numbers, I imagine, are, are right up there with most shooting guards in terms of volume. Yeah, it, I would even say they're probably ahead of a lot four and, of guys. Four and a half. Four, 42% on four and a half threes per game. Yep. Yep. And then, and then you mentioned the the like high efficiency from two. It's because he just the thing I love about Gary Harris is he stays in his lane. He does not take stupid shots. He gets the ball where it's supposed to go. He makes reads very quickly. If he's open, he does something with it. If he's not, he just keeps running the offense. He never, you never look at Gary Harris and think, what's he doing? You know, like you, I don't think there was a single time the entire year I thought that oh he's dribbling too much or anything like that. He does his job and just keeps it keeps the ball flowing. Uh, and that's why the efficiency is through the roof. This last year, he started to add a little bit of playmaking, three assists a game, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I bet you if you went by that, if you looked at the splits by that, the second half of the year, the, those assist numbers started to pick up. Uh, in fact, you know what? I'm going to look at it because I'm curious here. Uh, oh, they don't have the – oh, no, they do have the assist per month, per game. Oh, yeah, so five in April, uh, and then I guess it was pretty even before that. But towards the end of the season, they really played him at point guard a little bit more. Uh, or as the ball-handling shooting guard, and he really did a great job, way better than I would have thought he would have done at making decisions and making plays. Yeah, and you know, I always felt like when I watched the team, he had really good chemistry with Jokic, too. I felt like he knew when to cut off of him. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, I felt like there was at least once or twice a game, Jokic found him on, on a backdoor cut, um, you know, and, and if Harris didn't immediately lead to a basket, then he made the smart pass to the next guy. And that's the thing I think sometimes people forget with with young guards. A lot of times they can make that initial pass. It's kind of getting that hockey assist is when you really see with those young guards, it's it, it, the light switched on and they now they get it. Now they know what to do when they're not in the scoring position, how to kick it to the next guy to set up the guy who is going to score. And that's, you know, one of my favorite things with him. I mentioned before I have, you know, an irrational attachment to him. I thought he was great coming in into oh, the definitely. league. He's, you know, somebody that I, you know, I'm really happy to see has blossomed um, with that. So I, I, I'm with you. I do think he's um, probably going to get that extension, and, and I think it's going to be quite a bit. So now this, this is going to be my last question. I want to finish on this one with you. And this is a um, well. I want to. I'm going to ask two. But the first one is kind of flipping it forward a year. Jokic has a team. There's a team option on Nikola Jokic for the 2018-19 season. So this time a year from now, do the Nuggets decline it and let him get to restricted free agency so they can match any offer on him, or do they play it out at the really cheap amount of 1.6 million and then? just going to unrestricted free agency. How do they play that? It's kind of almost like the Chandler Parsons conundrum from a couple years ago. I don't think you risk unrestricted free agency with him. Um, you don't get a Nikola Jokic very often. I think he has a chance. To, I, I'm so high on him, and obviously I think people, the, the, the uh, you know, your hunch is to say, you know, oh, you're biased or this or that. I watch him every game. I watch the Nuggets every game. The Nuggets were a 30 maybe 28-win team without him. They're a 40-win team with him. When he's on the court, they were just killing teams. When he was off, they were getting killed. And it didn't matter what combination of players you threw around him. That's how it was. The kid is the best shooter from almost every zone on the court besides three. At the rim, 
you know, 5 to 10 feet, 10 to 15 feet, whatever it is, the guy just shoots insane, uh, insane percentages. He is, um, in my opinion, one or two solid summers of really working on his body from being a top five player in the NBA. I know that, I know that nobody else outside of Denver is going to, to believe this or see it, but if right now I think he's somewhere around like the 20th best player in the NBA just because of his defense, you know, dragging him down. Um, but a lot of his issues on the defensive end are just his body. He's got 20 pounds of fat on him that he can carve out. He's got the body. He makes Pau Gasol look like Hercules, right? Like he really, <laughs> he really has to tone up and just drop that. And he's got Malone said that he has the best uh, ball handle uh, on the entire team, and I believe it. He's really, he's just so insanely skilled. Uh, and if he could ever beat anybody, like he can't beat a snail right now off of the dribble. Uh, so if he uh, if he ever shed a little bit of weight just so that he could, you know, has a little bit more of a burst and defensively his reaction time is a little bit faster, he's a top five player in the NBA. Uh, no questions asked about it. That He's that good of a player. So I don't think you risk a player like that going to unrestricted free agency. You just It's just not worth it. As much as I think he likes it here in Denver and this and that, you don't risk that team luring him and sweet-talking him and showing him the bright lights of whatever. You, you, route, you, you lock him up for as long as you can. You hope to build some success around him so that when his next contract is up, he's established himself enough here that he just wants to stay, which I think he's the kind of guy. He comes from a small town in Serbia. I don't, I don't think he's one of these guys. He's not on social media. Uh, he's not one of these guys that I think cares about you know the parties and the lifestyle or this and that. I think he'd be very content to a career here in Denver, um, but you don't risk it by him getting out early uh, because somebody swooped in and, and stole him. You know, it's funny you mentioned he's not on social media and all this. I had a scout who told me before last season, so before the big breakout, all the guy does want, all the guy does, and all the guy wants to do is play basketball. That that's what his life is. That what he wants to be is he wants to be one of the best basketball players around. And I was kind of like, really? I mean, Barrett, he seems like he's okay, <laughs> you know. And then obviously he you know completely blew up this past season. So so I'm it's with interesting you. because my read is a little different on him. I, I think okay. he loves. I like. I think he loves the game of basketball, but horse racing is his biggest passion. And he, as weird as that is, he just bought his first horse ever. Um, <laughs> that was like. It, it all you know, players go out and buy cars or this or that. He's been saving up his money so he can go out and buy this prized horse. And his plans after retirement are to buy a bunch of horses and kind of be around horses his whole life. He seems to me, and and the rap about him from his agent, uh, this is coming from Misko Radezovic. I think I've, I've screwed up that name, but uh, his agent out in Serbia was that he was the most bizarre player he's ever had because Jokic, when he was first coming in dominating at like 18 years old in these pro leagues. And some days he just wouldn't, he would show up and be so distracted and so like just not into practice that day. And he's like, I've never seen it. Usually a player that's talented like this, they're just, you know, they love being talented. And Jokic almost seemed like he didn't care that he was the best player on the court because he was just, he had so many other, it, like basketball was a passion that had to be learned with him. And that's, I think that's a double-edged sword because it's amazing that he got this good without that type of, you know, internal drive, so to speak. Um, but it also makes you wonder what's he going to do in the off season. How is he? Like I said, he needs to shed twenty pounds. Is he's the kind of guy that can get up at, at, and and you know do the mileage every single day in the off season to get to that point? Yet to be seen. I'm I'm certainly hopeful. But my read on him is that he's not a basketball junkie like maybe a Jamal Murray is. 
That's interesting, you know, and this is why on the NBA front office show, why we want to bring in the team experts, because they're going to have those, not to use a pun here, but those nuggets of information for us <laughs> that, uh, that we're not going to get elsewhere unless you're really ingrained with the team and embedded with the team. So, Adam, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and breaking it all down with me here uh, tonight and talking all about the Nuggets. This is what we want to do on the show is go in deep. We're going to talk about guys all up and down the roster, guys that maybe might get skipped unless you're really getting in with the team. So, Adam, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and plug anything you'd like to plug. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam underscore Marez, M-A-R-E-S. Uh, you can check out denverstiffs.com. I'm really proud of what we have there. If you if you ever want to just check in and see what the Nuggets are doing, denverstiffs.com is the site. We've got a handful of credentialed writers that were there in the locker rooms at practice and everything. We have an enormous staff now. It's grown over the years, so check it out. If you ever have Nuggets questions, that's the place to be. Uh, and then lastly, I write for vicesports.com. Uh, during the season, I did a Friday column, but now I'm covering the finals, so you can find my work there. Awesome, and, and I will back that on denverstiffs.com. Anytime anything comes up with the Nuggets, I pop on there to see, you know, I wonder what these guys are saying, and it is always there. <laughs> There's always something there uh, for me to find, so, you know, great work on the team. So thanks again, Adam. I really appreciate it. I am Keith Smith. This has been the NBA Front Off Show talking the Denver Nuggets. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network, and check out all of our other great shows. One show I highly recommend at this time of year is the What's On Draft Show, Everything you want to know about NBA draft prospects is there. Again, Keith Smith, the NBA front office show. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. An ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning. You know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, a really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. All right, let's pull up over here and drop a line. Are your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.